0: message of Christmas, and it's the theme that we'll be studying not just today, but every Sunday, this great month of the year. I'm very much looking forward to it, and I love the thought of, of hope. And there is hope, and His name is Jesus Christ, and He did come that first Christmas And He touches lives, and He changes lives, and I have no doubt He can be an encouragement to you. I asked earlier in the service how many of you could think of someone that maybe could use a little hope in their lives. And just about every one of you raised your hand to say you know somebody like that. The reality is all of us have a need for hope in our lives. And we think of this day in which we're living, this world in which we're living, and, and I thought of this series, Hope of the Broken World, I could have named it just as easily Hope of the Broke World, right? Our economies are in a mess, we know that personal economies are are struggling, we look around the world and we see wars and hear of rumors of wars, and of course that's in the Bible. We think of these, these incredible weather events that have been happening at America, we think of the East Coast and around the world and... And uh, with all that's going on, we see the breaks, we see the fractures, we understand that, that our world is, is a broken world. It might add some perspective this season, however, if we were to consider that, that our world has been a broken world for a long, long time. Uh, I would agree that things are really shaping up for what I would believe to be the return of Jesus Christ. But but I also know that since the beginning of time, our planet has had a difficult time. People living here have have had a difficult time. Stable economies are an anomaly, not the norm. Uh, Economic turmoil is really the way it is more times than not if you look at human history as a whole. Peace has been elusive. Epidemics and weather upheaval fill the history books. We think of that. The word challenging could be applied to many of the seasons of of human history but the overarching great news this Christmas is there is hope his name is Jesus Christ he was born a couple thousand years ago he was born of a virgin he lived a perfect life a sinless life he died on the cross a death by way of crucifixion not for anything he did wrong he died for the sin debt of of people like you and and me, he was laid in a tomb. It was a borrowed tomb. He only needed it for a few days, you see. And, and then he rose again, and by way of the resurrection, he validated that all he said and did is indeed true. Jesus Christ is God the Son. He's the Son of God. He is hope personified, and, and he's a great blessing to all those who believe in him. I think of the writer of Hebrews who said this about Jesus Christ. Listen to these words. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. That's how he referred to Jesus Christ. He said, man, he's a hope that serves as an anchor for our soul. He goes on to say, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. I love that Jesus is the anchor of the soul. I believe it was Thomas Paine who said, these are the times that try men's souls. And I would say that applies to the time in which we're living. And in trying times like that, it's good to know there's an anchor for our soul. It's Jesus, Jesus Christ. To gain some perspective on this holiday season, I want to take a journey back to the beginning. To the beginning. Now, today, we have the perspective of looking back in time. We reflect on that time when Jesus Christ came. But people on the other side of Jesus Christ, and He does serve as the dividing line of human history, they didn't look back on the event, of course. It hadn't happened yet. They looked forward. We look back by faith. They looked ahead by faith. And, and I want us to go back to before the arrival of Jesus Christ in human form, and, and I want us to think on this. We think of Jesus' birth in, in Bethlehem, and, and it was surprising, certainly, to the, to the shepherds there and others in Bethlehem, but it, it wasn't really surprising in that it was so well publicized. The Old Testament scriptures were filled with references to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. It's it's at the very top of the list of prophecies given in the Old Testament. If we were to go back just 500 years before the birth of Christ, we would find prophets like Isaiah and prophets like Micah writing about the time of the birth of Christ, the place of the birth of Christ. They were very, very specific. There are many more than eight prophecies of Jesus' birth in the Old Testament. But if we were to look at just eight of those prophecies, we would see, as Lee Strobel writes in his excellent book, "The Case for Christ," that the probability of just these eight prophecies being fulfilled is one chance in 100 million billion. And that number is millions of times greater than all the number of people who've ever lived on planet Earth. The arrival of Jesus Christ that first Christmas. it was a fulfillment of prophecy. He goes on to quote a mathematician by the name of Stoner. And this man, Pete Stoner, said this, the likability, the probability of Jesus fulfilling the 48 major prophecies of his birth in the Old Testament. It's one chance in, and I want to get this right, it's one chance in a trillion, 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 trillion. Uh, I think we can see mathematically the likelihood of Jesus being born at the time prophesied, at the place prophesied, all the events surrounding it. That was no chance arrival. That was a fulfillment of prophecy. But for our study today, we're not going to go back just 500 years to the time of the prophets like Isaiah and Micah. I want us to go back 4,000 years before the birth of Christ. I want us to go back to the very beginning, the beginning of. Beginning, as in, in the beginning. I want us to turn in our Bibles today the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to be in our study. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to make it all the way back to the Garden of Eden in our study today. And as far as the chronology of of Scriptures is concerned, we're going to find today the first mention of the coming of Jesus Christ. We'll find the first mention chronologically in Scripture where the promise of Jesus Christ is mentioned. And it's an encouraging thought that we can go back 4,000 years before the birth of Christ, about 6,000 years from our time currently, and know that there's a God who thought of it all and provided the hope that we need. If you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to the text this morning. Genesis chapter 3 is where we'll be reading. Genesis chapter 3. And just a couple verses today, and I'm going to spend... Uh, more time than normal, kind of giving the context and the background, and and uh, if the introduction is longer than normal, the application will be a little shorter than normal to make sure we fit it all in in good time. But uh, I want us to think of these verses this morning, Genesis three and verse fourteen. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Now I'm going to read on, but uh, we've already read a lot. We have God here having a conversation, and the Bible says it's with the serpent. Okay, now. The serpent there we'll we'll see this in the course of our study that's the devil now how many of you if you happened into a room and God was having a conversation with the devil would you be kind of curious what kind of things they would say to one another you know and uh, I I would really like to know what's being said and so God the spirit inspired the writing of the book of Genesis Moses was the human penman and he records this conversation so we get to kind of step inside this this conversation and listen all right God is speaking to Satan what does he say he says to, to the serpent, Because thou hast done this, and we're going to get into the this that he had done, but he said, Because you've done this, thou art cursed. You're cursed. In fact, this whole text we're studying is often referred to just as the curse. Okay? Thou art cursed. Above all cattle and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust. Shalt thou eat all the days of thy life, and I will put enmity between thee, Satan, and the woman. Now I could read on, we could wonder, which woman would that be? Well, there was only one at the time, okay? Her name was Eve. And, uh, and we, we see what's happening here. I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Profound, profound passage of Scripture. I don't know personally that I've ever heard a Christmas message from Genesis chapter 3. But this is really where it all begins in terms of understanding that God said, I'm going to take care of the problems. In our world, in our lives, I am the hope. And there's a word in this text that really, in many ways, is just the opposite, the antithesis of hope. Near the beginning of verse 15, you'll find a word, and it's a word we don't often use. It's the word enmity. Sometimes we come to these words that aren't often used, and I'll kind of move over them quickly. But really, this is a key word, because enmity, it's a violent word. I'll talk a little more about it later. Uh, It really provides a perfect backdrop for hope to come. And enmity is really all we have apart from Christ. When we have Christ, we have His hope. I I believe today will be a great starting point. I pray with all my heart that what we study this morning encourages you, but I also want to say that it's going to set the foundation for things to come. And so let's have a word of prayer. As I often do, I'm going to ask the Lord to help me teach with uh, uh, His hand on my life, and I hope as I'm praying, you'll ask the Lord to help you to receive. Father, thank you for today, for your word, for the perfection of it, and Lord, to think that we can go in Scripture back thousands of years to see what it is you have to say. and It's wonderful. We thank you for it. I pray that people would be helped and encouraged today, Lord. We love you. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Jesus Christ, God the Son, is the hope of the broken world. In the verses we read together a moment ago, it was the occasion when the world broke. It's the time we refer to as the fall of man or as the curse. It's, it's when the great fracture between God and man took place. The breach came and, and we see that our world since that time has been a, ro- a broken world filled with, with broken people living broken lives. But we meet also here Adam and Eve. They were the first people that, that God created and what a, what a beautiful beginning they had. They lived in the Garden of Eden. It was a wonderful place. And they served basically as, as God's caretakers, as God's stewards for, for that place. And God took care of them. They had no legitimate needs, really. God met them all, no real legitimate threats in light of the fact God was there to provide security. But, but sometimes, even when our needs are met, we have these other things that prop up, our greed, you know. A greed and a need are not the same, but, but although their needs were met, we see a little bit of greed. And although their safety was provided for by way of the protective hand of God, we see there was a subtle creature that comes along and makes himself known. And so they had a little bit of heaven on earth. But we met a key player in this narrative whose existence predates creation. We meet someone in our text today who goes by many names. Apollyon, Beelzebub, Lucifer, Belial, the dragon. Uh, Speaking of the devil, we find the devil in this text as well. Prior to the creation of mankind, the devil who had a position with God in heaven fell from his status. Now, we don't know all of the details of this occasion. But the Bible does give us some insight as to what happened, how it happened, why it happened. And and in the book of Isaiah, we read this uh, story as it unfolds. In Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14, the Bible says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cast down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, we're now finding what was in the heart of Lucifer, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will, the Bible says, sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, God. We find in the heart of Lucifer, a heart that had self-will above a desire to follow God's will. He said, I'll be like you, God. I'll do the things you do, go the places you go, I'll be even greater than you. We see that his heart was filled with pride and the Bible bears this out and I think we've all seen it validated in our own lives. Quite often when we get filled with pride, we're headed for a fall. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs 16 and verse 18 that pride goes before destruction and a haughty or a prideful spirit before a fall. A fall. And so the devil encounters Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and they begin to talk. And I want you to see today, this was no chance meeting. This wasn't like they just bumped into each other. Uh, The devil was there. He had a plan in mind. He had an agenda in mind. He knew what he was trying to do. And that's exactly how he is when he works his way into our lives. He knows where he wants to take us. He knows what he's hoping will come to pass. The Bible in Genesis 1 and 27 tells us this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. The Bible helps us to understand that we've been created in the image of God. We're thankful for that. But the devil hates that. You remind him of God. And he hates God. And if the devil could lead humanity in a massive rebellion against God that would be a win against God and it would be a win for him and so he did what he always does he sought to deceive and to manipulate and to tempt people into rebelling and he used a tool that he loves to use the tool of of lies Jesus in John chapter 8 and verse 44 said this you're of your father The devil. Now I'm going to read on, but how would you like that for an opening line? Good morning. Welcome to church. As I share today with you, you're of your father, the devil. Okay? That was the opening line there. Jesus had a way of just cutting to the chase, of saying it. And in this text, as he's addressing this particular crowd, he said, You know, you guys are, you're of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. The devil's a liar. We see that in the Garden of Eden. He comes to Adam and Eve and he begins to lie to them. To Adam and Eve, however, God said this in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Again, I'll read on. What tree were they able to eat of in the garden? Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God gave them everything. Everything. He withheld only one tree for himself. So the devil's plan was easy, just get him to go after that one thing, get him to go after that tree. His aim was to get them to rebel against God's will, to trick them, we read in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and uh, uh, and evil. There's so much wrong with this text, I don't even know where to begin. It was so filled with inaccuracies and lies and innuendo, and we, we find that the devil comes and he says that God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. That was a lie. That's not what God said. God said, you could eat of every tree of the garden. He told a lie. And then Eve said, well, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. God never told them they couldn't even touch it. She exaggerated. I don't know why she exaggerated there. I don't know why I exaggerate sometimes. But we find Eve here talking to the devil, and the devil tells a lie, and she responds basically by telling a lie herself. Oh, no, we can, we can eat, eat, eat of all these trees, just not that one, and we can't even touch it. Well, that wasn't true either. And the devil went on to say this, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. The devil told them this. Adam and Eve listened. God's against you. He's trying to keep you from the good things in life. He's trying to keep you from having all that fun. And God knows if you eat that fruit, you'll be as smart as he is. You'll be like him. You'll be like God yourself. Wouldn't you rather be the one to give a command over your own fate? Wouldn't you like to be the master of your own soul? And ate the fruit. In 1875, an agnostic named William Ernest Henley published a poem called Invictus. His poem reads like this. Out of the night that covers me, black is the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstances, I have not winced nor, nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with unpunishments the scroll. With punishments the scroll, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. He was expressing the exact sentiment in the Garden of Eden. He took it as his own. But that was the sentiment in the Garden of Eden. You can be your own person. It's up to you. You're in charge. You're the the one. June 11, 2001, a man that we have called a homegrown terrorist, Timothy McVeigh, stood before an executioner for that evil work that he did in Oklahoma at the federal building. Prior to giving his life by way of the death sentence, he was asked if he had anything to say. He quoted the poem I just read to you. The defiance of man is uncanny. And it's been the same since the beginning. I want to be in charge of myself. I yield to none. I follow my own will, not the will of God. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it brought a terrible devastation to their lives, but not to their lives only, to all of our lives. The Bible in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. Who was that one man? It was back in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they sinned. And here because of one sin, the Bible says, enters into the world and death by sin. Don't you remember? God said if eat of that fruit you shall surely die. There was a spiritual separation that emerged And, and so, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned that's a lot of background that's a lot of context but I want to really help us to understand why Christmas is so meaningful and why it brings so much hope it's because without Christ we're in a total mess and as we look back to the verses we studied a moment ago I want us to be encouraged today if you have your notes nearby I want you to take note of this in the midst of the curse there is hope Now, this moment in history is a time we refer to as the curse. Because of sin, God curses the devil. Because of sin, God curses humanity. And and therefore, the offspring of humanity, we're born as fallen people in need of salvation. Even the earth is cursed. If we were to continue reading in this text, things like weeds in a garden, there were no weeds before this. Pain and childbirth, that was non-existent before this. We're, we're living on a, on a cursed planet and we're a cursed people because of what happens here. God is giving words of judgment upon the devil. And yet at the same time, we see God speaking words of grace. He's saying because this was done, there will be consequences Because this was done, there's going to be heartache and difficulty. There's going to be a separation between God and man. But also in those very same words, God gives hope as He begins to speak of that one that one day will come. He speaks of an ultimate uh, victory coming one day. I had the opportunity several weeks ago to go to the Monday night game uh, down, down in San Diego and watch the Chargers and... Of course, most of their games that are home are, are on Sunday morning. That makes it tough for me to get to. Um, and uh, so uh, uh, Matt, who serves here, he's also my nephew. He talked me into it, and I'm very thankful he did. I went in with a couple other nephews, and we got down there, and we got in. And if you remember that game, and there have been very few memorable moments in the Chargers season this year, but if you remember that game, that first half, they looked like about the best team that's ever played football. They could do no wrong. Everything they did was right. I mean, they ran up the scoreboard, and, and uh, they're playing the Denver Broncos, and they, could, they couldn't do anything good. And uh, the Chargers couldn't do anything bad, and they ran the score up. And man, at halftime, it just looked like, oh, this is a blowout. This is going to be uh, one of those games, you know, where the stadium empties out about the end of the third quarter, and, and uh, just an absolute blowout. But if you watch that game, you know that Peyton Manning was just kind of shaking the rust off in that first half and he led the Broncos to a comeback in that second half that literally was a history-making performance. It was the greatest comeback in the history of Monday Night Football. Now just imagine for a moment, if you would, that the next day I'm, I'm, I'm with a friend who's a big football fan, he's a Broncos fan, and he recorded the game, he doesn't yet know what happens, he's watching the game, and man, that first half, he's just apoplectic, he's going nuts, oh, what happened, oh, he's just so distraught, so discouraged, we're just losing, we're, we're, we're just getting beat in every position, nothing can go right, and he's so discouraged, and imagine I say to him at that moment, hey, buddy, relax. I know how this thing ends. There's fixing to be a comeback that you've never seen before. It's going to be one for the history books. It'll be the greatest comeback in the history of Monday Night Football. I know you're discouraged now and you're distraught now and you're under the load of it all, but let me tell you something. In the end, you're going to pull this thing out and you're going to win. Let me tell you exactly what God is doing here in the beginning. He says, yes, this is the lowest point in human history. And yes, this is the lowest point in all of Scripture. We see the fall of man led by a rebellion by Satan himself. We see a curse that comes as a result of the willful act of disobedience on the behalf of people. But we see in the very same words God saying, Listen, but I'm going to come. I'm going to take care of this. There's a few quarters to this game, and for a few of these quarters, it's going to look like it's an absolute loss. But the victory's coming. That's what's happening in this text. You see, Christmas is a reminder that regardless of how bad things may seem, we have hope. Right here in this low point in Scripture, we find the hope of Jesus Christ. There's hope in the midst of this curse. But as we move on, I want us to see today there, uh, in the midst of the conflict, there is hope. In the midst of the conflict. Now, the Bible speaks, as we read on, of enmity. We looked at that a moment ago. Enmity, in verse 15, between thee and the woman. Now, the word enmity is a hostile word. I, I believe in a Bible that's been inspired by God and preserved by God. And, and that makes every word in the Bible really of great importance to me. And when, when God the Spirit inspired Moses, who was the human penman of the book of Genesis, to write this word that we translate into English as enmity, a lot of channels there, but, but I see this word, it's a big-time word. Um, the word enmity is defined as rancor, intense hatred, warfare, the opposite of the good things we think of when we think of hope of a victory. The devil at this time was, was in the form of a snake. Uh, now he's talking to Eve. This clearly was before something major happened. We call it the fall because uh, most ladies I know aren't really big uh, fans of snakes, you know? Most ladies aren't, most guys aren't. In fact, most unweird people are not. Every now and then you meet a weird one, they like them, you know. And uh, I was driving a long time ago on Highway 138, and I remember I ran over a snake. I slammed on the brakes and put it in reverse and ran over it again. That's how I think of snakes, okay? <laughs> and. We don't like snakes. We feel a little nervous about them. I got to tell you, I ran over that snake twice. Well, I guess three times. I backed over and went over it again, you know. And, uh, and still, as I'm driving away, I'm thinking, I wonder if that guy got on my tire and he's crawling in my car. You know, we just don't <laughs> trust snakes. They're creepy. We, we don't like them. But the thought extends far beyond just this matter of a snake. It's not snakes that we have a conflict with. It's, it's the devil. The devil hates you because you're created in the image of God. There's a war, a spiritual war being waged in our world today. It's a war that, that we'd be destined to lose were it not for the truth we find. In Genesis 3, 14, 15, and 15. The truth that we find in Christmas. We would have no hope were it not for, for Jesus. Now the thought here is we're fighting. There's a conflict in our world. There are conflicts in our lives. In Ephesians 2 and verse 2, the Bible says we're in Time passed, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, I'm going to read on. The Bible here is talking about Satan, the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. I want you to know today that we're in the midst of a warfare, and we've got an opponent in Satan. He can't stand humanity because we're in the image of God, and the Bible tells us that he's the prince and power of the air. In this time and in this space, I'm telling you that if you were to match you as you are against Satan, he's a superior opponent. Not only that, you're playing on his home turf. He's got home field advantage. So you've got an opponent who's got more strength, more power, more more wisdom than you do. and, And you're playing on his home turf. He knows the ins and the outs. And that's what the Bible says we're up against. It would seem that all is lost. There's a thought here that is sometimes overlooked, however. It's a thought I've overlooked many times. I want you to take note, when the Bible here speaks of enmity, it goes on to say, between thy seed and her seed. Do you see that in your text? I want you to take note of that in your scriptures. Between thy seed and her seed. Now, at face value, we would take that to mean that Eve and her descendants would have this this same battle. In a sense, that's correct, but there's something that is missed many times here. I don't think any of us have to be graduates from medical school to understand that seed of the woman, there's something kind of curious about that that statement. That's just biologically not the way it happens. That's that's not the way it works. Uh, I've read the Bible from front to back many times, and, and, and I've found many times where seed is referred to in the context of a man. For example, the Bible speaks of Israel as the seed of Abraham. Uh, we think of Israel also called the seed of Jacob. The priests serving in the temple were spoken of as the seed of Aaron. God spoke one time of punishing the descendants of David, and He, he said that He was going to punish the seed of David. Children are always spoken of as being the seed of, of a man. But this prophecy referred to the child as the seed of the woman. You see, every child that's ever been born ever in the history of the world, every child that's ever been born has been born of the seed of a man except for one. And that one is the very one God in this text, in the midst of this curse, in the midst of the fall, in the midst of the separation that God called death. He wanted us to think of the one that wasn't. His name is Jesus Christ. You say, well, how are you born if you're not born by way of the seed of a man? Well, in Isaiah's prophecy, we read this in Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Hundreds of years later in the New Testament, we read this in Matthew 1, verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Friends, life would be a losing prospect for every single one of us were it not for Jesus Christ, God the Son. Oh, we think of this prophecy and the fulfillment of it. If your opponent is the devil and you're fighting on his turf, you have no hope unless You have a relationship with God the Son. With God the Son. I don't know what conflicts you brought in with you today. I think of the great conflict between mankind and and the devil and mankind and God because of sin. The breach that has been created. But I know that all of us in the course of life go through a variety of things. It's interesting to me that during the holiday season, a time where we speak about peace on earth more than any other time of the year is... So often a time where peace just seems to deteriorate. And friends, I I want you to know something. This is not pie in the sky, you you know, uh, that type of of a thought. The reality is because of Jesus Christ, when the conflicts come into our life through him. We can get through those times and grow and know what his peace is like in our hearts I'm thankful that in the midst of conflict, there is hope, but we've got to see the final thought here that will conclude our study today and and tee us up for studies yet to come in the future. I want us to see that in the midst of the cross, there is hope. In the midst of the cross. Now, look here, if we're going to be good students of the word today, you've got to look at that outline, say, Pastor, your outline is only valid if it jives with Scripture if it goes right along with what we're studying in the Bible. There are a lot of people that are really good talkers, but when it comes to being a teacher of the Bible, the only credence any teacher of the Bible has is, is this biblical? Is it true? Is it giving the sense, as the Bible says, of the text? Now, when you, say, uh, w- when you see that I say in the midst of the cross, there's hope, you've got to be thinking, well, where's the cross in this text? I didn't hear the cross. I didn't find a mention of this, of this at all. Listen to the way the Bible speaks of the fight between Jesus Christ and the devil. The Bible says, it shall bruise thy head. And thou shalt bruise his heel. I want you to understand that when Jesus Christ hung on the cross of Calvary, he suffered. He suffered. Jesus never ceased to be all God. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. Theologians call this the hypostatic union. He was the God man, all God and all man. Being all man meant that when he was on the cross, he felt all the pain that any one of us would have felt, he felt the agony. Uh, He felt all of that. And and the Bible makes it clear that Jesus bled and that Jesus died. And in the text we read in Genesis that that he was going to be bruised. And the reality is while on the cross, Jesus was indeed bruised. And that was even a fulfillment of prophecy. The Bible in Isaiah 53 and verse 10 says this. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. In Isaiah 53 and verse 5, the Bible tells us that He, referring to Jesus, the Messiah, but He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. You see, friends, the devil sought to destroy the seed from the beginning of time, and the cross was just an opportunity in the mind of Satan to annihilate God the Son. I think of way back in the beginning, Adam and Eve, after the experience we're studying, had children. And he provoked Cain, Eve's first son, to kill Abel. Why? Because he knew it was coming through the seed. The Messiah was going to come. I've got to stop this thing. I've got to stop this thing. When God promised the seed would come through Abraham, what did Satan do? He attacked Abraham. He attacked Abraham's family. He tried to disrupt in every way possible. When God narrowed it down to the tribe of Judah, one of the offspring of, of Abraham, the devil sought to attack the tribe of Judah. When God narrowed it to the family of David, the devil attacked David and his, and his family. Friends, the entire Old Testament of Scripture, all of it, is God's unfolding drama of redemption and Satan's opposing it each step along the way. You read those Old Testament books, Esther and Ruth and all these great occasions. It was God's plan unfolding, and Satan there at every step of the way trying to stop it all from happening. And so when Christ was on the cross, this was his great hope. What happened to Jesus when He was on the cross? Well, exactly what we read in Genesis 3 and and in many other places in Scripture. He was bruised for our iniquities or our sins. The type used in this verse is that of a heel bruise. But the bruise inflicted on the devil was a head bruise. And for a snake, that's a fatal blow. I like to see it this way in my mind's eye. Just think of it this way if you would. They'd have to dig a hole to drop the cross into that was going to hold Jesus Christ. Just imagine a little snake coiled up down there in the bottom of that hole and they dropped that heavy cross. That would have torn at the feet of Jesus Christ as the nails were driven through. But just think of the snake at the bottom of the hole. Jesus endured much for us. And he dealt a death blow to Satan. Now a snake, a lot of time, will wiggle around. It doesn't know it's dead for a while. We know ultimately the defeat of Satan will come in the future. But it was sealed the day Jesus Christ paid for our sins on the cross. You see, as we read Genesis 3, 14, and 15, let me tell you what God was doing. Please hear this. God was declaring war. But the world is filled with people who've declared war. What makes this different is God not only declared war, He declared war and claimed victory in the same statement. same one. There is hope because of Jesus Christ. Listen to the words from the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The song says, come desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. You ever hear these words sometimes? You think, what does that mean? This songwriter obviously had our text in mind. Adam's likeness now we face, stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. The songwriter asked for God to fix in us, and I know that word's used in a variety of ways, but I love the thought of a God fixing us because, well, we're broken, and there is hope of the broken world, and it's found in Jesus Christ. It's found in Jesus We have hope because of Jesus, and Christmas is a celebration of that hope. Jesus came to provide us with everlasting life through faith in Him. Now, I want you to think on what we studied today. Before you and I were ever here, thousands of years ago, at the very beginning of human history, God already knew, had a plan, guaranteed the victory now just like in a good football game there are a few quarters along the way where it looks at times like man what's going on here but we can rest assured God's going to do what he has said he did that pretty overwhelmingly at the birth of Jesus Christ remember all those trillion 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 that was kind of God's way of saying you can trust me multiple fulfilled prophecies in scripture we can trust God And Christmas is all about God saying, look, at times in life, it can look hopeless. At times in relationships, at times in our families, at times in our personal economic situation, at times in in a country, whatever the case may be, God says, listen, I want you to know that in me you always have hope. Our Father, thank you for the opportunity to be